Welcome to the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. Vintage Church is a multi-church, multi-city movement of truth, love, and community. For information, visit vintagechurchmovement.com. Here is this week's message. Well, hey, good morning. Welcome to Vintage Church. If I've never met you before, my name is Dustin Turner. I serve as the lead pastor of Vintage Church. One of the things that I love about this season is some of the elements that we do that we don't typically do. And so uh, one of the things that we've done for several years is the lighting of the Advent candles. And if you're unfamiliar with that, each one of these candles represents different things. So today's candle, as we begin this season of Advent, represents uh, hope. The hope that we have that Jesus, when he came, brought hope. But also, in the Advent season, the hope of his return and the hope that we have because we know that just as he came in the beginning, he will come in the end. And so today we light this candle representing hope. We're going to do something else today that maybe you grew up doing, maybe you didn't. Christians for centuries have done this, uh, not just during the season of Advent, but literally every Sunday they recite the Nicene Creed. I want to encourage you to get this little piece of paper out on your seat. And this is a, uh, an understanding, a creed of what Christians throughout the world believe about God. And so part of us is we're coming together in solidarity with literally Christians everywhere to confess together what we believe, but also part of why we're doing this during this season of Advent is because we're confessing some things about what we believe about Jesus. And we are going to spend the next four weeks talking about Jesus and discussing who Jesus is and getting deeper into who he is. So let's stand together and you can recite this along with me, either with this sheet or with the words that are on the screen. Here we go together. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. Amen. You can be seated. In this series, we're talking about home for Christmas. 
And yeah, that's a, a cheesy play right on the song Home for Christmas. But for me, in this season of Advent and the season of Christmas, you're probably experiencing one of two things. You're either pumped and excited for this season or you're wrestling with pain, suffering, and emotions because that's part of what happens in this season. If you've experienced any sort of loss or any sort of thing like that, you're wrestling with that. And in this season, it's a reminder for us for all of us, what we're ultimately searching for, whether we think we have found it or whether we haven't found it or whether we actually have in fact found it. All of us are searching for home. Many of us are just unaware that home is ultimately found in God. And even if we come to this conclusion that we know where home is found and that it's ultimately found in God, sometimes many of us take the wrong path and the wrong direction to get there. And part of what we get to do in this Advent season, in this Christmas season, is be reminded and maybe learn and understand for the first time that the only way to home, the only path to God is actually found in the person of Jesus Christ. And if that is true, and it is true, then what that means for you and I is we have to understand who Jesus is. We have to understand what he has done for us. So we're going to spend the next four weeks looking at characteristics of Jesus. And what we're going to really get to is this reality that Jesus is our humble servant and at the same time, our divine king. We're going to see today that Jesus modeled for us, lived out humility. Next week, we're going to see how he served as a servant. Week three, we're going to see that he's not just human, but that he is divine, that he is God himself. And we're going to see that as God, he rules and reigns as king. That's the journey that we are going to be on. If you have a Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. You might be familiar with this passage. You've probably read it before if you read your Bible on a regular basis. This is from the Apostle Paul, a letter written to the church at Philippi. And many people believe that the verses that we're about to read were actually a hymn of the early Christians. And what Paul did was he took the hymn and he adopted it and wrote it in his letter to teach the church at Philippi and ultimately teach you and I not only something about Jesus, but something about how we are to live our lives. So let's look at this passage together, starting there in verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, everybody say form of God. Wow, come on now. Form of God. Who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Everybody say, form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, 
so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory, to the glory of God the Father. Now, this sermon's going to be a little bit different. Because what you're going to get is you're going to get a lot of doctrine, a lot of teaching, because we need to understand who Jesus is, but it's going to lead us to a place of application. That if this is who Jesus is, then this is what that means for our lives. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, Christ humbly let go. Christ humbly let go. Go back and look at verse 6. Look at what Paul says about Jesus. He says, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. There's a few things that I want us to see in this passage. Number one, he, that is Jesus, is in the form of God. Paul is saying something when he says that Jesus is in the form of God. We just read it from the Nicene Creed. This is how the Nicene Creed describes the form of God. It says this about Jesus, begotten from the Father before all ages, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Now, you have to understand some of the language that's in the Nicene Creed and ultimately that comes from the New Testament because it talks about in the New Testament that Jesus is the only begotten Son of the Father. When we talk about Jesus being begotten, it's not like you and I are begotten, right? You and I are begotten. I know we don't use that word all that often, but it means we come from our parents, right? We come from our parents, and Jesus came from the Father, but not in the way that you and I come from our parents, because in, in time, there is a moment that we are not and then we're born, right? Every single one of us, we have a birthday, right? You have a birthday. Jesus doesn't have a birthday. Now, I know, what about Christmas? I'm not talking about his incarnation. I'm talking about his form as God. So you and I have a start date. Yes, we will experience physical death, but we will live eternally, spiritually, and then we'll be resurrected. Jesus, as God, never had a beginning and never will have an end. He's in the form of God. He is begotten from the Father. What Paul means, what the church fathers meant, what the New Testament means when it says begotten from the Father is it's talking about Christ's relationship with the Father, that from eternity, Jesus was begotten from the Father. God the Father is the one who begats, begets. Jesus is the one who is begotten. And when Paul uses the phrase form of God, what he's really getting at is he's getting at the essence of God, right? That there is one God, but they exist eternally in three persons. That is what we talk about when we talk about the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And if all three of them share the divine essence, they all have the same divine essence, then that means they are all what? God. They're all divine. So Jesus, what Paul is getting at, is divine. Now, in the ancient church and in the ancient world, and even in today, there are heresies that really go against this belief. One of those heresies was a thing called adoptionism, 
where Jesus was not God's son from the beginning, but adopted by God sometime in his life, whether that was his birth, his baptism, his transfiguration, or even his resurrection. The issue with this is that it denies Christ's preexistence and ultimately his deity. To say that God adopted him sometime in his life means that there was a moment when Jesus came into history, when the Son of God came into history. There's another heresy called Arianism, where Arius, who was a church pastor in Alexandria, Egypt, said this, that Jesus is only God's greatest created being. And to hold to that would, to, would be to deny the fullness of Christ's deity. Now, why do I share all of these things to you? Because guess what? We can still fall into these traps. In fact, Arianism in our modern day world is held by a group called the Jehovah's Witness. They believe that Jesus is not God. He's just God's greatest created being. Yet Paul says he was in the form of God. He goes on to say if he's in the form of God, then he is equal with God. And yet being in the form of God, being equal with God, what does Paul say next? He did not grasp that equality. Now, you might read that and you might be thinking that Jesus let go of his divinity, that if he put on flesh, then what Jesus did is there was a moment in time when he wasn't God. But listen to what one commentator says about this. He says, this verse does not teach that Jesus quit trying to attain equality with God. Rather, Paul emphasizes that Jesus did not take advantage or exploit the equality with God that he already possessed. You ever heard somebody uh, say that if you want this from me, you're going to have to take this from my dead, cold hands, right? Where it's like, listen, I'm not giving this up until I'm dead. And then my hands are going to be squeezed on it and you're going to literally have to pry my dead fingers off this. That's not what Jesus did. In his humility, what Jesus did is he opened his hands and he held out his divinity, not to get rid of it, but to say, in humility, I am giving up the privileges that I have as God. I mean, think about it like this. You've probably read stories or heard stories about people who are born into wealth and yet divest themselves of that wealth, give that wealth away. In fact, the Christmas story, the Christmas story that most of us know about Santa Claus is about who? Do you know? Saint Nicholas. Do you know the story of Saint Nicholas? He's actually a pastor, believe it or not in modern-day Turkey, and he was born into wealth, but he gave that wealth away to serve the church. More modern-day example, you might be familiar with John D. Rockefeller, who had a, a massive amount of wealth from oil. His son, John D. Rockefeller Jr., became a philanthropist and gave away his wealth. In the same way, Jesus, when he came to earth in humility and put on flesh, he said that he wasn't going to exploit the privilege of his divinity, of being God, but instead he was going to humbly serve. He came to earth, he let go of that privilege. But it's not enough that Christ just didn't exploit his divine privilege. What Paul also gets at is that Christ humbly put on. Look at verse 7. 
He says, going from what he said about being in the form of God, uh, being equal with God, not grasping that equality, verse 7, but he did what? He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. The phrase emptied himself, other translations talk about making himself nothing. Now again, this doesn't mean that Jesus became less than God. By emptying himself, what Paul is getting at is not that he removed his divinity, but rather he added humanity to his deity. That from eternity past to eternity present, Jesus will always be human, but there was a moment, or always God, but there was a moment in time when he put on humanity. And now Jesus exists forever as fully God and fully human, being in the form of God and at the same time taking the form of a servant. And for Jesus to take the form of a servant means that he was truly and fully expressing what it meant, what it meant to be fully human. It wasn't like he was part human, partially human. He is fully human. Listen to what the church father Augustine says about this. He says, without losing what he was, everybody say divinity. Without losing what he was, that is his divinity, he determined to be himself made what he had made. Everybody say humanity. It was he himself who made what he would be. For he only added human nature to his divine nature and did not lose his divine nature in becoming man. You know, one of the privileges that I have is to be a dad. And one of the things, you know, when you have a, something that you're like privileged, there are things that you love about that privilege and things that, you know, you would like to pass on. Doing homework is one of those things I'd like to pass on. You know, I spent uh, 12, I can't count. This is why I'm terrible at math. Many years in school, more than 12 years in school, 16 like 20, 20 plus years in school. And I thought, you know, there's going to come a moment in life when I'm not going to have to do homework anymore. And then my kids got to school, right? And now my kids are learning how to do math and they're learning how to do math in ways that I never learned how to do math. Not to mention the last time I took math was in high school. I even got out of college not having to take math. So one of the things that I just cannot stand about math homework are the word problems. You know, give me the equations all day. I can, I can try to decipher and figure it out. But, you know, when it's like Johnny had three apples and Susie had five apples and you take away this many and you add this many, what's the total? I can't stand those problems, right? So we, we read those problems and I'm working with Gabe. I'm working with my daughter, Emmeline. And, and I'm, I'm saying, I read the problem and I say, okay, Gabe, Emmeline, are we adding? Are we subtracting? Are we multiplying? Are we dividing? What are we doing, right? Yeah, all four. All at once. And sometimes Gabe will be like, we're subtracting. And I'm like, no, 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 we're, we're adding or, or vice versa. What you need to understand about the incarnation, about Jesus taking the form of a servant, is that this is addition, not subtraction. He's adding to his divinity, not taking away. And there were ancient heresies, again, in the early church that tried to take away his divinity. Things like docetism, that Jesus just appeared human. That when you looked at him, yeah, he looked human, but he wasn't actually human. This denies the true humanity of Jesus. Or, my favorite, Apollinarianism. Everybody say, Apollinarianism. Apollinarianism. 
That's, hey, that's not bad. That, that heresy says that Jesus didn't have a rational spirit. It denies the full humanity of Jesus, that there were parts of Jesus that weren't fully human. And to do that, Jesus then can't redeem all of us. Paul goes on to say not only that he took the form of a servant, that he was born in the likeness of humanity. Now, look, I were, if I were to bring my kids up here, I'd bring Rachel up here, my wife, and Gabe, my son, Emily, and my daughter, you would look at my two kids, and you would look at Rachel and I, and you would say, yeah, those are your kids. Why? Because when you look at both of us together, they're a mix of Rachel and I. They're born in our likeness. The same way, if you were to see Jesus you would see a man. You would see humanity, and you would recognize that Jesus was born in the likeness of human. Why? Because he is, in fact, human. The author of Hebrews says it like this, Hebrews 2.17, Therefore, Jesus, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, not a few respects, not in some ways, in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. See, the incarnation, what we're talking about, Jesus being fully divine and at the same time taking on the full humanity gets at the heart of the gospel because the heart of the gospel is that Jesus came for you and I that he came, that he lived a perfect sinless life, that he went to the cross, that he died for our sins, that he rose from the grave. But listen, there's no death and no resurrection that matters without the full humanity and the full deity of Jesus. Because Jesus, if he was just a really good guy, he could have went to the cross, he could have died, and he could have said, I'm dying for humanity. And yeah, he can represent us because he's human, but just because he's good doesn't mean he's perfect. And if he's not perfect, then his sacrifice can't make up for our sin. But Jesus could have been just fully God and not fully human. So if he was that, then his sacrifice would have been perfect and it would have covered us, but he couldn't have represented us because he's not like us in every respect. He's not fully human. See, The incarnation, the full deity, the full humanity of Jesus is a reminder for us of the gospel. That Jesus had to be fully God. Why? Because his sacrifice had to be perfect. It couldn't be tainted with sin, with our failings that separate us from God. But at the same time, he had to be fully human exactly like us. Why? Because when he went to the cross, his death, he was able to represent us. Now here's the thing. Jesus came to earth, put on flesh, and while being on earth for 30 to 33 years, people either rejected him or accepted him. And by the way, that's true today. And the way that scriptures talk about is in order to accept Jesus, it requires a response of, number one, repentance. You have to turn away from the way you have been living. You have to recognize that the way you have been living is not getting you back home, not getting you back to God the way you want it to. Number two, you have to recognize that in faith, you're trusting the death and resurrection of Jesus. That Jesus is, in fact, fully human and fully divine, and he did die for you, he did rise for you. Then you need to confess that faith publicly. The way that 
the scriptures, the way that history teaches us that Christians for 2,000 years have publicly confessed that faith is through baptism. Going under the water, being buried with Jesus, coming up out of the water, being resurrected with Jesus. See, the incarnation is absolutely essential to the message of the gospel. But Christ took on humanity for a reason. Paul says this lastly, Christ humbly laid down. Look at verse 8. So he was in the form of God, he took on the form of a servant, and then verse 8, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul gets at his point that Jesus humbled himself. And here's the reality. Yes, Paul is getting at this truth that Jesus humbled himself in death. But what we need to understand is that Jesus humbled himself from the very beginning of his incarnation. Go back to the story of his birth in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Here's what the gospel writer says. He says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, you know that story, right? Last night, we got out all of our decorations and we put out our, our, our nativity scenes, right? And I'm, I'm trying to teach my children. I'm giving them a theology lesson. And my daughter, all she cares about, oh, look, it's the angel. And Gabe's like done. He's like, ah, I just want to go do something else. I'm like, no, 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 come here, come here. I'm trying to teach you something important. Who are these people? Right? They, they at least know Jesus because he's the baby. Which, you know, that's a good place to start. This story reminds us that Jesus has been humble from the very beginning of his earthly life. Like, don't forget that in coming to earth and putting on flesh, Jesus is still a king. And yet, in his humility, he did not come as a king born in a palace. He did not come as a king with a birth announcement. He came as a humble, lowly king born in a manger. By the way, the manger is not the barn, right? You know, there, there's the barn and then there's the manger. The manger is like the feeding trough. So they're born, Jesus is born in a barn. Why? Because the hotel that they're going to stay at, there's no room. All the rooms are booked. So they're out there with all of the animals. There's no place to lay baby Jesus. So they put him in a feeding trough. I don't know about you, but if I'm God, thank God I'm not, by the way, and I'm born, you're not putting me in a feeding trough. But Jesus says, in humility, this is what I do. From the moment he is born to the moment he dies, he displays humility. Which is why Paul says not only that he humbled himself, but he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. 
in his humility, he became what? Human. Why did he become human? What was the point of putting on flesh? The very reason that Jesus came to earth was for one thing, to die. That was his mission. Come to earth, experience everything that you and I experience, and then die for us. That's what Jesus did. And I thought about, you know, just this reality that if I could not suffer death, I would choose life. Right? If I knew that death was like, it was an option not to die and that I could live, I would choose life every time. But Jesus, in coming to earth, putting on flesh, chose death because he knew what his mission was and he humbled himself that he might fulfill his mission, bringing us back to God. And Paul continues by explaining what this death was. Not only that he humbled himself, not only that he become obedient to death, but his death was death on a cross, the most painful and humiliating way to die. In fact, the very word that we say for pain, that it was excruciating, comes from the word that we get crucifixion from. That anytime we say something's excruciating, what we are saying is that it is as painful as being crucified. And it was painful, but it was also humiliating. Because whenever the Romans would crucify someone, number one, they would strip you completely naked. Number two, you were publicly executed, meaning you were in front of everybody. And you were left there for hours, if not days, and people would pass by and they would see you. And as they passed by, they would wonder, what did that person do to deserve that kind of punishment? Jesus did all of that. He humbly took up his cross to die for us. He experienced that pain and that death that we might have life. The Protestant reformer John Calvin says it like this. He says, since neither as God alone could he feel death, nor as man alone could he overcome it, he coupled human nature with divine, that to atone for sin, he might submit the weakness of the one to death, and that wrestling with death by the power of the other nature, he might win victory for us that we might have victory, that we might have life because in his humanity, he died for us and then he rose from the grave defeating sin, death, and hell because he is not just fully human, but he is at the same time fully God. Again, this goes back to the power of the gospel, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, going to the cross, dying for our sins, rising from the grave to defeat sin, death, and hell. So the incarnation connects to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That that death and that resurrection means nothing unless Jesus is both fully human and at the same time fully God. So here's the question for you and I. What does all of this mean for us? You know, it's actually not Christmas season. I know that hurts some of your feelings. I know Pastor Weaver already got up here and, you know, Merry Christmas. You know, you know he's had his tree up for two weeks already? How offensive. Is that not offensive? It's, it offends me greatly. It's actually Advent season. 
And in the season of Advent, yes, we remember the birth of Jesus. But we look forward more not to his first coming, but we look forward to his second coming. That because Jesus was faithful to come the first time, there will come a moment in time when he will return. And the hope and the joy and the peace and the love that we light these candles representing and looking forward to, yes, it was inaugurated, it was begun with his birth, but it will be consummated in his return. And as we look to that, we look to the person of Jesus, there's two reminders for us from this that I want to remind you about. Number one, we follow Jesus to life. Jesus is the way to salvation. Look at what Paul says. After everything that he has said in verses 5 through 8, about Jesus being in the form of God, but taking on the form of a servant, humbling himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Look at what he says. Because of all of that, therefore, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, all of that speaks to the reality of what we will experience when Jesus returns. That when Jesus returns, because of what he's done, every tongue will confess that name above every name. Every knee will bow at the feet of Jesus. Because he's not just human, he's divine. He's not just divine, he's human. Every single one of us in this season, we're looking for a way home. For some of us, we've been searching in all the wrong places. We know something is off. We know that there's something more to life. We think we know the answer, and so we search in all of these different areas, whether it's with our, with our money, whether it's with occupation, whether it's with a relationship, whether it's you know, with significance or meaning, or we look at to it in another religion. But at the end of the day, life is found in Jesus alone. For some of us, we know that truth. We know that the way back home, the way to God is to Jesus, but for some reason or another, we've gotten lost along the way. And we have forgotten that the only way to life, the only way to God is through Jesus. There's a reason Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Do not forget that Jesus is the way to life. But Jesus is not only the way to life, we're not only to follow him to life, we are to follow Jesus for life. Jesus is the example. Verses 1 through 5 come right before verses 6 through 11. And in verses 1 through 5, we see why Paul uses this hymn about Jesus. He's writing to the Philippians. He's writing to the church about the church. And listen to what he says in verses 1 through 5. He says this. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy 
by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in what? Everybody say it. Humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. See, the reason that Paul brings all of this up, the reason that Paul reminds these Christians about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done on their behalf is to remind them that Jesus is the model to follow. He is our example. If anybody had a right to not be humble, it was Jesus. Because he had all of the things. He was God. He is God. Yet he gave it up. And he became humble. Now, some of us struggle with humility, right? Self-included. And some of us might make excuses to say, well, I'm just not that humble of a person. I don't know if I'll ever be all of that humble. Look at what Paul says at the end of verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is what? Yours in Christ Jesus. Every single one of us, if you know and follow Jesus, have the ability to live out of humility because you're living out of Christ. Jesus is the way to life. Jesus is the way for life. My prayer for us in this Advent season with everything going on, all of the distractions that are both good and at times bad, all of the things happening internally, all of the stuff that we're wrestling with, all of the questions that we might have, all of the festivities that we're going to be a part of. That this season would take us back to what matters most. That Jesus is our humble servant. He is our divine king. That he is the way to life. And that he is the way for life. May we trust in that. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much, Father, that you love us. That you have sent your son Jesus that he put on flesh, that he died for us, that he rose for us, that there will be a day in the future, God, when he will return and reign forevermore. God, may we have hope because he has come, and may we have hope because he will return. Help us to find life in him, and help us to live for life with him. We love you, and we thank you that you love us. We ask all this in Jesus' name.